0: Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefits of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The words of Jesus in John chapter 11, verses 41 through 42. Anxiety, get behind me. Depression, get behind me. Hell, get under my feet. My life will not be full of chaos. I will not reside in this tomb. I'm being seen today, not viewed. Hallelujah. If you're listening to this right now, it ain't never too late. Somebody's been praying for me. Somebody's been encouraging me. Somebody has come to my rescue. Lower the lifeline. Down yeah, into the muck and clay, and it lifted me up and out. Now the duty rests on me. There is a responsibility to not only get up and out, but I'm talking about coming back. Coming back to life. Coming back to those still stuck in the pit. I'm coming back today. The bindings are falling off. I'm walking out of the tomb, and it may not be graceful. And it may stink a little bit. I may even trip and stumble on my way. But I guarantee you this. I'm coming back, leaving all behind. If Joseph can go from the jails of Egypt to war. For me, with Paul, who went from persecuting Christians to becoming a Christian, and came back from shipwreck, then I can come back too. I got it in me, that comeback spirit. You got it too? Welcome to the die. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Once you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John the New Testament, chapter 11, verses 38 through 44 is where the message today will be coming from. Praise God, it's good to see you all. Verse 38, and at the top of my study Bible, this would read, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Somebody say, from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I'm going to interject while we go through this. I want you all to notice that Lazarus, that name, it means the one whom God has helped in Hebrew. That translates to the one whom God has helped, past tense. Also take into account, It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Remember Samson, jawbone. Samson was in the cave at Edom. and That cave was carved into a cliff. So we have that as a precursor. And jumping forward, a foreshadowing of Joseph's tomb, not the stepfather, the father of Jesus, of Nazareth, But the Joseph that lent his tomb to the Christ after the brutal crucifixion was also a cave carved along a cliff of Golgotha. I've been there. I've seen it. I walked in there. Into that tomb. And I tried to keep an open mind, but it's hard to do that. When you're in a setting in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, I wanted a visceral experience, if I'm honest. And what I got was a stillness, an emptiness. It wouldn't be for years later until more recently that I realized that that emptiness I felt inside myself and that stillness that consumed the silence of that small chamber with the slab of stone where they laid his body was representative of the fact that there was no experience, nothing visceral to be had there because Jesus came out of the tomb. He was not enslaved to death. I'm grateful for that. Moving on to verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, Lazarus' sister. She said, By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. See, here we have another instance of God's rule breaking tendencies. The body would have started to decompose. And this was as taboo then as it is today to think about and consider and discuss and really bring up the fact that there's a decomposing body in front of us at a wake or a funeral or graveyard, the feces, the excrement evacuating from the body within the initial days post-mortem. Isn't it funny how Martha, like many of us, really seems to see her brother as an extension of herself? So as embarrassing as it would be a moment for Lazarus, it was for Martha. Lazarus' decomposition was Martha's decomposition. That's why we hear sometimes somebody who's lost someone, well, when they died, a part of me died with them. I can relate to that. I want us to also take into account that four days is one-tenth of the time Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting, where he was tempted by the serpent, the enemy the devil. Four days is one-tenth of the time it spent raining during that season of Noah and the great flood. It's one-tenth of the time Noah waited before he opened the ark after the rain. The Israelites spent 40 years in the wandering wilderness. Despite it being just a fraction of a significant number regarding the numerology of the Bible, In a realistic sense, four days after the time of death was equivalent to the point of no return. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be real. So, on verse 40, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This is a prayer verbatim from the lips of Jesus to us. He taught us how to pray. I know we often say the Lord's Prayer. Here's another one. Verse 43 When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. We often hear it in that deep voice. I don't know what God's actual physical voice sounds like, and I I would assume it's pretty terrifying, but Lazarus, come out. This was an imperative statement. This was a command to a man's body that was dead. But I believe Jesus is reaching beyond that body. We talk about a transcendent Christ. An interdimensional being. The voice produced out of that is not restricted to the chambers of a tomb. Not restricted to the confines of an eardrum. But that voice resonates with the soul. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Come out. Lazarus, come out. Now, isn't it funny that when a person, say, comes out the closet, when a person admits they have a natural inclination to be with or have an affinity for the same sex in romantic partnership, it is dubbed coming out. Isn't it funny that the ones who run and tell it The ones who are gossiping and got to spread the good news of who just came out don't even realize that they themselves are likely in their own closet, in their own tomb, out of plain sight, out of fear of the embarrassment of decomposition. Because apparently my my actions, my creation, my being, my essence, who I am, It is an emulation of you? Mm. I don't think so. Let us take note that the Bible makes it evidently clear that Lazarus was the one whom Jesus loves especially. Especially. Especially as an adverb used to single out one person, thing, or situation over all others. It signifies a great extent. The Bible makes this emphatically clear. So yes, I am implying what you think I am implying. See, it was palatable to inquire about Jesus' relationship with Mary Magdalene, the woman with the torrid past who was plagued by demons, not one, plural, multiple, and yet unfathomable to even consider that Jesus' relationship with his fellows was strictly fraternal. Let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 3. Jonathan, now Jonathan is a warrior. He's the son of King Saul, one of the most admired by Israel and noted to be very handsome. Jonathan, chapter 18 of 1 Samuel verse 3, swore eternal friendship with David because of his deep affection for him. The Bible says that their hearts were knit together. It'll say later in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel verse 17 once again, Jonathan made David promise to love him, for Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. Mm, Let's jump forward. Let's jump forward. Revelation. Let's jump. Let's jump beyond here to the end. Revelation chapter 21, verse five. Then the one who sits on the throne said, and now I make all things new and now I make all things new. Not just what you want to be made new, but also that stuff that became uncomfortable. That stuff that we didn't necessarily like about ourselves because someone told us not to like it. It doesn't have to be homosexuality. It doesn't have to be transsexuality or transgenderism. It could be a simple character flaw. Behold, all things become new. Oh, you're so direct. Oh, you're not um, empathetic. Oh, you're cold. You're brass. You're brutal. Oh, yeah, we wanted you to be rigorously honest, but now you're being brutally honest. See, but then you jump into a new career path, and they're telling you you're a people pleaser. Well, yeah, my whole life they've been telling me to hold back, to dumb it down. Now they're telling you you're a social butterfly that really might not be beneficial in this career path. We need people that are direct, that are explicit. Mm, behold, all things become new. He also said to me, write this because these words are true and can be trusted. That's from John who wrote Revelation, another John who would write the book of Revelation in the Valley of Armageddon. So as we dive, jumping back to John, Verse 44, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Before I get to that, I want to acknowledge the strips of linen. So when Jesus had called out Lazarus, come out, come out of your state of futility, come out of your tomb, come out of the shadows, the darkness, the enclave, the cave in the cliffside. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Strips of linen equal foreshadowing of all that would be left of Jesus' former semblance in the tomb after his resurrection. The cloth around his face may even be pointing to the relic of cloth that still exists today that may, it's argued, bears a bloody impression of the face of the Christ when he encountered the weeping women and the cloth that they use and impressed upon his face to wipe his brow, his bloodstained face during his passing along the stations of the cross. I've been to the Via Della Rosa, I've been to the Holy Land, I've walked the stations of the cross and I don't know the stations by heart, but I know when I got to a certain point following the tour guide, tears welled up in my eyes. My stomach sank. And then the tour guide announced that this is the station of the weeping women. There was something transcendent about that moment. Their energy is still there. That sympathy and empathy, the horrors of the torture still echo. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, when you finally come out, Be prepared to put on something new, not that old death garb that they wrapped you up in, not that old stuff that they're used to seeing you in, that they that they can find and constricted you to. Be prepared to put on a fresh pair of clothes. So I don't know why the Lord gave this to me the way that he did, but we're going to jump back to the first. Verses of John 11. So John 11, verse 1, now a man named Lazarus, Lazarus meaning the God, the one who God has helped, Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. This ain't no secret. We don't hear about Lazarus too much at all outside of this experience, outside of this chronology of Jesus's years on earth performing ministry. And here we have, I would dare to say, Lazarus may have likely been in the picture prior to Jesus being announced as the son of God. Uh, by John the Baptist at his baptism, at the Annunciation. Well, that might be for Mary, whatever you want to call that moment. Um, But Lazarus is a homie, regardless if it was uh, platonic, romantic, strictly fraternal. They know this is the one you love, especially this is our brother. He knows you and you know him. You know us. You love us. And not because you got 12 guys following you around under your tutelage now. No, we loved you. So when Jesus heard this, verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Somebody say, I am a child of God. I am a son of God. Sometimes what you're going through is not even about you. It's about God's glory. Verse 4, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Hmm. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Let us go back. See, that's that comeback spirit. Sometimes we got to go back to what's uncomfortable. Sometimes we got to come back to a world we don't necessarily enjoy all the time. I've studied um, these near-death experiences and, um, and looking into joining an administration organization geared toward people like me who have had near death experiences and experienced what we can only describe is as heaven. Now, I'm not like them, but many people get very upset and angry with God because they come back. I was in shock. I was terrified. I asked God, "Please, you don't have to do that again. I know heaven is for real. I know God is real. I know you're here, and I'm grateful for that revelation." But a lot of people get upset because heaven is so good. There's no reservations. There's no anger, no hate, no resentment. I'm not worried about what happened. I'm worried about what is. And so when I come back to this, it could be devastating for some. But this is the epitome of the comeback spirit. That in the face of all objection and spite, Jesus is determined. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, or short while ago, the Jews, they tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. See, it doesn't matter what they tried to do, what they did do or what they are even going to do. This, my life, is about what God is doing. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? I love this rhetorical questioning that Jesus imposes when he speaks. I I think I know Jesus Christ is one of the best, the best rhetorician there ever was, especially with being able to bring the knowledge of the heavens to the hearts of the people before there was the internet, before technology, all that. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see this word's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Sometimes you got to walk by faith even in the light of day. When I'm walking in the light, when I'm living right, fulfilling my purpose like this right now, shots might be fired, stones thrown. And like Maya Angelou said it best, yet I rise. Psalms 119 verse 105 Many of us know it. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Verse 11 in John 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I got to love Thomas, a.k.a. Didymus. Anybody, anybody in here got a ride or die with them? They could, I know, I got, I got plenty, I got a couple. They could be a trip though. Didymus was synonymous with the vernacular for the word twin. Thomas equals Didymus and Didymus equals duality. We have two segments inhabiting the same space. Two segments of the same person inhabiting one body. Sometimes the same ones that rode with you are not willing to die with you. Remember the doubting of Thomas when Jesus came back and spent 40 days, 40 days, 40. We have one-tenth of 40 here, just a sliver of significance as far as numerology goes. When he came back and spent 40 days on earth after his death, burial, and resurrection, And before he ascended, before transcending back to the first dimension, the dimension that created this dimension, Thomas changed up and said, well, prove it. Prove to me Jesus is back. What happened to the Thomas that was let us all go? Let's die with him. Let's ride or die with Jesus. Let's see him bring this brother back. But then after he saw with his own eyes Jesus being crucified. His narrative changed. He said, I saw him die with my own eyes. I say this as a reminder to us to be cautious of those who announce their fidelity. Isaiah 30 verse 15 puts it like this. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Proverbs verse 27 verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses, mm, Proverbs, Old Testament, kiss of Judas, New Testament, full circle, come back, a comeback. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Take a look around at who was standing there when you go in and take an account of who's left when you finally come out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Remember, Jesus told them initially that Lazarus was asleep. He had to make it explicitly clear that the one whom God helped was dead. Lazarus, his name might have been chosen before he was even born. But his name represents a past state, and now he's dead. Now his presence has expired. His body had reached its expiration date. This is implicit of the fact that though we have lost someone, some people that we love, that we may have loved especially, mm, this does not necessarily mean that they are totally gone. I love how T.D. Jakes put it. He said, yes, we might lose our keys, our car keys, our house keys, And be looking for them all over the place. But that does not necessarily mean that they are gone. Just out of plain sight. I encourage us to come back to the heart of the mission. To the heart of worship. And do not forfeit the opportunity to establish light within this dark world. Lazarus literally, literally had a comeback spirit. That was a precursor of the ultimate comeback of Jesus. Mary and Martha, despite their frustration and bereavement, kept their faith. They said, oh, we know Jesus. Lazarus will be back in the great resurrection on the day of the coming of the Lord. But Jesus corrected them and made it clear that he was, in fact, that comeback spirit. He was the coming of the Lord. He was God incarnate, God coming back for his people and not just the Jews but the Gentiles too, even the pagans, even the philanderers, even the wanton, the decrepit, the broken. The comeback spirit is all-encompassing, unconditionally loving, and most importantly, accessible to each and every one of us. It resides in and through us. On earth as it is in heaven, what if I told you heaven was inside of us, so it's up to us to bring it out here on earth? So whether you are coming out of the closet or out of jail, come back. Whether you're back on food stamps and not sure how you're going to make rent, come on back. Whether they kicked you out of law school, med school, maybe they diagnosed you with an incurable disease, I beg of you, oh please do, come back. Get that fight back, get that gumption. And know that when you come out of that darkness and into the light of day, you won't be coming out alone. The spirit of God is with you and that's more than enough to say the least. And by all means, when you finally get there, when you finally take that deep breath, that sigh of relief, come back for the rest of us and show us how you made it out. God, I give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor. I wanna thank you for allowing me to deliver this message. You put it on my heart weeks ago, and I put some other stuff before it, but I'm glad you brought me to today. I thank you for the preparation, for the marinating, for the sacrifices that had to be made, and I trust your process. I trust that you won't leave us dead and alone in the grave, but that you're coming back even when all hope seems lost. I want to thank you all for joining me today. God bless. All right, there it is. If you enjoyed today's message, I encourage you to follow us on Instagram. The underscore die, D-A-I underscore podcast. Follow, share. Share with me, message us. Let us know how you're doing. You can email me at assistance the writers at gmail.com God bless you all and thank you so much Ciao